Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We've got a great, great festival to kick off the new year with. Joining us to talk to us about this great new festival, we've got Selma Trevino, who is the curator and member of the FizzFest NYC Artistic Leadership Circle. We have Becky Baumwall returning to speak with us. She is the artistic director of Broken Box Mime and the co-executive producer of the festival. And we have Tatiana Dizadua, who's the artistic director and choreographer of Passion Fruit Dance Company. All of these wonderful artists are part of the first annual FizzFest NYC. It's happening January 5th through the 14th at the Stella Adler Center for the Art. And tickets and more information can be found at fizzfestnyc.org. We're very excited that 2024 is kicking off with a brand new festival, especially this one. So we're going to go in and welcome in our guests to share more information about this. Selma, Becky, Tatiana, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thanks, Andrew. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I am so excited to have the three of you here today. I'm so excited to learn more about FizzFest NYC. As we were talking kind of off the air and I was listening in, mime has a special place in my heart. This, this, the, the whole, that whole art form. And we have this great festival kind of dedicated to that art form and whatnot. And so I'm really excited to learn more about it. So Selma, if I could start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what FizzFest NYC is? FizzFest is a community festival for us to actually define and bring together what we think that physical theater is. That genre that it's umbrella for so many uh, kind of shows. And for me, that's a big, 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 big meeting of those wonderful artists that are going to get together to put their, their work and show what it is, not just talk about, but show that's what Feast Fest is for me. <laughs> I love that. Now, I do want to kind of pick your brain a little bit more because you are a curator of the show. How did you pick the shows or the groups, the performances, I guess I should say, that are are participating in this year's inaugural festival? Well, we are a group of six curators and we had criteria that we chose and we put to choose who would participate. We had 123 applications. And then uh, if we hadn't put those criteria, it would be really impossible. And we had wonderful people, wonderful artists. So we we start choosing, like, first, who is in New York City? <laughs> and we start from there. And with uh, we had videos, right? We had some questions for the artists. And we we gave points to them in terms of what most approach to what we were uh, want to hear and see in terms of the work with the body, that that is what we were looking for. And we had our share, each of us, and then we got all together to talk about the ones that we gave the highest points and see, and we went from there. 
that's how we chose the artist. But it was, and we had also, because that's one curator, we had also, the producers had a wonderful idea to give the, the artist themselves to give points to the other artists. And, and so we had our points and we had their points too to see who we would choose with the criteria we um we put in the list. Yeah, that's how we chose. That's awesome. I want to bring on a familiar voice now, Becky Bombwell, who's part the artistic director of Broken Box Mind, who we spoke with last year. You are one of the co-executive producers of the festival. I'm curious to know, how did you all come up with the idea for this festival? What was the inception of it? Yeah, I think I think everyone who is working in physical theater, which is, like Selma said, a huge umbrella for anything that centers the body in performance. So, you know, we have Tatiana on here, who is a dance artist and all kinds of multi-hyphenates within that umbrella of dance, which is also so big. And then we also have mimes, like you said, clown, comedia, and all kinds of things in between. So physical theater is this like massive definition of which fittingly the first panel at FizzFest is called what is physical theater? So so we'll have a, a longer discussion on the 6th of January about that. But yeah, I think a lot of people in this field and I say that with, you know, field in, in italics or capital F or lowercase, whatever it is to kind of um, engage all of those definitions, have all wanted something like this. There's never been a physical theater festival in New York. Um, there's only one other that I know of in the country, uh, the Physical Theater Festival in Chicago. It's more common around the world, but also it's unique in how it spits in the United States, because in a lot of places around the world, physical theater is just theater. <laughs> but in the US, because we have a tradition of being so tied to, in a good way, I think, I mean, tied to the playwright, I think it's a playwright-centered theater world, oftentimes here in the States. And so things that are more messy or performance art or physical focused and not so driven by the playwright end up being more fringe. So yeah, I think a lot of us have wanted a festival like this. And the first beginning of it was for, for this process of really doing it and not just talking about it was over coffee with with Julia Cavagna, one of the company members of Broken Box. And she was talking about how siloed it feels that, you know, I, as the artistic director of Broken Box, don't know a lot of the other people making physical theater in the city. And isn't that wild? I've been doing this for 12 years. So we said, you know, let's kind of make a place for that to happen. And soon after I had little coffee hangouts with Bill Bowers, incredible performer, mime artist, educator, and Julia Proctor, who is the founder and director of, found, of Clown Gym, and also a wonderful director and performer in her own right. And the three of us started that little kind of triangle starting the idea. Then we brought in BJ Evans, who's my executive co-producer, a fantastic producer who's now based in Europe. And then we were like, all right, we don't want to curate this ourselves. <laughs> so we brought in Selma. We had applications for, well, no, first we had an open house in January. And we said, who wants to come and tell us what this festival should look like? And 80 people showed up and 40 <laughs> people couldn't show up, but gave us their ideas. That was at Stella Adler Center for the Arts, which is beautifully donating their space for this festival. That's, that's how it can happen. And we got everyone's feedback. And from that, we were like, okay, people want 
people want this to be community-led. So we, we had applicants for the leadership team, picked six curators, of which Selma is one, then picked a few honored curators, of which Tatiana is one. The other honored curators are Matt Salzberg and Adrian Capstein. And then kind of built this whole map of how different people would participate in the leadership of the festival. So there are about 30 people taking on different leadership roles in different ways, a hosting committee, an advisory council, all kinds of stuff. And here we are, Andrew, days away and my inbox is full and there's merch being made and tickets being sold. And it's very exciting. That sounds amazing. What a way to kick off 2024. This is incredible. I want to bring on the third voice here on our panel, Tatiana. I'm excited to learn from you. You know, you've got this great company who is performing in the show as well, if I'm correct. What has it been like developing not only the festival, but the work you're preparing for the festival? Yes, yeah, so first of all, thank you again for having me. And then thank you so much, Becky and Selma, for having me, you know, uh, creating something so special, I feel, because it's pretty unusual for me to be part of, of that kind of festival where you invite other people to, to be part of the festival to create as well. So I think it's interesting for me to be part of this process, to have to be part of one specific vision, but to be able to build my own vision inside of it. It felt really great to do it that way and to feel like I have like their support into whatever I want to bring in to the festival. So for me, this is pretty unique to do that. And what is so special about it is I always wanted to be able to create a performance evening for street dance, street and club dance, it's the community that I'm from. That's the community that I defend all the time that I'm trying to highlight through my work. And to do this was important for me to do this in that way, to give the voices to new artists from my community that wants to actually create more theater-based work through the lens of street dance. And also being able to perform, you know, have a little window for us, me, my own company, to be able to perform as well. And, you know, to make it something where it's communal and we all like sharing the same language and offer it to a wide, you know, range of people who don't know so much about our community. And I feel like this festival, the format works because we can, you know, there's so many different disciplines inside of it that can merge, that can connect, you know, new network, new community members. Eventually people get to do workshops with us, dance with us, learn about the styles that we do. It's just an extra window to our world. So for me, it was pretty fluid to like super easy to do it because the dancers that I invite, it's, those are people that I know personally. Those are also friends, people I've been dancing with in the community, whether it's in battles, sessions, you know, events, dance events from the community or dance in, com in companies with them. And they express the need or, you know, their interest in showing work, you know, in starting presenting work, uh, theater work. And I feel we connected in that way very easily. So it was easy to, to find the people. And the piece is a piece that I already had. Just, I'm going to showcase a, sh a short version of the piece. I think the challenge is just to <laughs> make sure everything is set before I focus on, okay, let's focus on me, the piece, the work that I'm, because I'm going to be also one of the performers. I think the challenge is really like to make sure that everybody else is taking care of their needs for their performance. Everything is already 
uh, coordinated so it can be fluid the day off, but it's pretty good so far. It looks good. It feels good. I'm excited, super excited about it. Hopefully people from my community will come, but also new people. We also want to reach out to other people. So I think that's why it was so interested for me to be part of this festival in that way. I love that. Oh, that gets me even more excited. Jumping back up to you, Salma, what exactly can audiences expect from this great festival? The first thing that comes to my mind, variety. <laughs> you know, that's what they, they need to expect. To see all kinds of different visions of how to work with the body on the stage. In, in in little showings and full night showings, we we really tried to bring as many as artists we could. So so there is the variety is really really big, but not just in terms of performance, because we are offering workshops, we are offering panels, and uh, like the panels are all, are all free. You know, so it is not just coming to see a performance, but you can be part of a process in the workshop. You can come and talk about it in the panels, you know, be at the audience and be part of the community, not be just a passive audience also. And I think that's that's super important. And I think that's what they should expect and be ready for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, I think what's cool too, <laughs> what you can expect too, is if you look at that calendar on fistfest.org, you can say, okay, over the course of the week, I'm going to see this Broken Box Mime show, and then I'm going to see One Groove, Tatiana's show, and then I'm going to see this Buto. I'm going to go to this Buto workshop and also take a puppetry class and go to the panel on self-producing for artists. Or you can say, I'm going to go on Thursday and do these five programs and just spend Thursday at FizzFest. So there are a couple different ways to, to get, you know, to, to plan out your 10 days, whether it's coming by a few different times or just coming to one day or two days and spending your whole day with us. We packed those days so that people could come and, and get that whole variety that Selma's talking about from, from what, 10 a.m. to to, to 10 p.m. PM. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes to midnight, right? To 11. Yeah, we didn't play it. We didn't. We didn't play it cool on year one. <laughs> Very. We were like, okay, 23 shows, 17 workshops, and seven panels. Let's go. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. It's it's wow. 10 days of full activities. <laughs> yes, you guys went all out for this. I love it. So, Tatiana, yeah. is there a message or a thought you hope that? audiences will take away from this first annual festival? Uh, Curiosity is the key word, I will say. Like, you know, everything that we do with the company is about, all about creating, you know, a door, a pathway so people can feel invited within our community, especially because I'm very connected to the underground scene where there's not so many people that are familiar necessarily with what we do and the way we do it. And also we, we're choosing to do what we do on stage, you know, which is like usually, I mean, it's been mainly for the contemporary scene, ballet scene. So it's a different conversation that we bring in on stage for an audience that not necessarily are used to coming to our world. So I'm hoping for people to feel curious, you know, motivated to discover more. 
and to support even more those artists in our community and, you know, to see uh, the richness of it, the values, all the values that we carry, endless creativity, you know, that's something that's very like part of what we do. I feel like when it comes to street and club dance, it's like a constant and constant creativity. As we speak, people are creating right now new new stuff, new trends, new styles that will be popular in a couple of years, you know? So it's really something that I want people to step in with a fresh eye, openness, you know, and hopefully fall in love with it the same way as I do. And we hope to share our love and people will feel that energy. You know, I chose that title One Groove for that specific reason, because I felt like there's something contagious about the, the groove for so many reasons, for social reasons cultural reasons, you know, historical reasons, but I felt like that that fits well, you know, the groove is something that you feel. So I really hope that people will feel it as they witness all those artists. That is so lovely. Oh, I love that. That's yeah, me too. <laughs> yes. My final question for this first half of the interview, I'm going to head over to you, Becky, for, and that is, who do you hope have access to FizzFest NYC? Good question. All the people we picked, <laughs> we are thinking a lot about access for this, right? Like the one of the questions that we asked as we were having that open house event in last January was what would make you feel welcome? What would make you feel included? So that's kind of a place that we started off the bat. Again, you know, where you're talking to artists who all have made beautiful, if I may say, professional lives in our art forms, but there, that feeling of being on the fringe or not being as invested in as much as some other types of theater or, or dance or performance means that sometimes we, this group of people knows what it feels like to not feel so included, I think as well. So that's been front and center in this project. And by the way, if you go on our website, you can see every answer that was written on this, all those questions were on these huge pieces of paper on the last January. And I typed up every single answer unedited. And that's the report that we put online. So if you're curious what those 80 people said, how they define physical theater, what they want to see out of this festival, you can look online and see what all those folks had to say, which is which is fun. Yeah, access. So for this festival, First, the, the space on the basic level, the space is ADA accessible. We also have things, we plan the schedule so that if people work nights, there's stuff to see during the day. And if they work during the day, there's stuff to see at night. Because we raised, we raised so far $42,000, spectacular. We have another 10 to go until we can pay for childcare. So I don't think it's gonna happen this year, but it will happen next year where we can have, I mean, you should hold me to it. I hope it happens is if we get enough funding that it would be really great to use the room. One of the rooms that we're now going to use as like a green room, it'd be great if we could hire some childcare for that room. So people who are doing their tech could drop off their kids. That was part of the vision, but I'm, I'm told I can't have everything at once, which I still don't understand, but I'm going to We'll wait till next year for that. So we are thinking about that in the long-term planning. But for year one, we kind of put that down to scheduling, making sure that people could could come whenever they want. All the workshops are open to anyone. There's no prerequisites for coming to take the corporeal mime class or the eco-performance uh, uh, class or or the one, oh, there's so many cool things. Phantom Limb is teaching a class. So you can come to any of the classes you want. The shows are all $20 across the board. So you just drop a crisp 20 
at the door or go online and do 20 bucks and you'll see that show. And the workshops are only 30, which for two hours is pretty spectacular for the quality of teacher that you're going to see. Panels are all open to the public and free to come. And then in terms of like details about accessibility, we have our in-house accessibility advocate, SD Bernstein, who works in Broken Box, heading up the access audit. This is something Broken Box does for every show. What are people's experience going to be? How can we make their trip to the theater welcoming? And that includes things like really preparing people in advance for their trip to the theater with a visual story online that hopefully will get up in time. I say all these things and, and we're working on it as we speak for people who need more pre preparation before coming to the theater. I'm also doing a training with our front of house staff to make sure that they know where and how to take care of people's needs during the shows. We're even working with someone to give us specific guidelines on if there is conflict in front of house and how not, uh, what are alternatives to policing if we can call people in to, to resolve conflict. So we're kind of trying to think of every little thing, even hopefully some of these things don't come up in year one, that, that we are set up so that our values are really represented in the way that we're running the festival. start our second half of the interview by letting our listeners get to know the three of you a bit or a bit more in Becky's case. And I actually want to stick with you, Becky, on this first question. I want to ask, how did you get into the performing arts? I'll tell you the truth. It's that I went to, when I was five, I went to see Crazy for You on Broadway, which is, you know, such a tap show and such like a, so much beautiful music. That was a trip to New York. Why? Maybe my sister was looking at colleges or something. I don't know. And some of my family is in New York. So maybe we were just visiting people. And when it ended, I just wept. And I kept saying, please rewind it, rewind it, rewind it. Because I was so used to watching performance you know, on TV. And I was like, please just start again. And I really didn't understand. I was five, but a naive five, let's say. I was like, <laughs> I was like why, why can't it start again? And I, and I remember, you know, walk, I have a memory of walking up the aisle to the, you know, the, the merch table and my mom being like, do you have any recording? And they're like, no, we don't. We didn't know about the performing arts library at the time. Now I would just go to the performing arts library and watch it. But that's how I got into performance is, is being devastated that a show was over. And then over time, as I grew up realizing that that's exactly what makes it so special is that it never happens again. It's here in this moment with this collective of, of audience members and people on stage. It is absolute magic. And, and it is usually, it, it, it's really hard to make it incredible. And when it's incredible, it's better than anything else. So that sort of like rigor and uh, that, that the, how difficult it is for it to be spectacular. And then the reward was like, it blew my mind. And I think that seed was planted at that show, which happened to be Broadway, which as an indie theater, I'm embarrassed to say, but it was a gosh darn fantastic show. And, and I do love a great Broadway show. I love that. I think you might've shared that as your memory. Cause I remember the, can we rewind and start it again? So I love that answer. I've, I've had that feeling <laughs> on more than one occasion about a show. Oh my gosh, if only, right? Tatiana, I'm interested to know what or who inspires you? You know, what playwrights, composers, or shows, or, I mean, you, you're a dancer. You're with a dance company. What choreographers or dance pieces have inspired you or just some of your favorites? 
<laughs> okay, so this question is really tricky because it's, I feel like ever since I danced, what the things that has been inspiring for me was not necessarily shows, specific shows or specific choreographers, but more individuals. It was more dancers from the scene, specific dancers that did touch me in a specific way and use that as a way to express whatever I need to express. I mean, I feel so lucky that I grew into the street and club dance community because the richness is is crazy. There's so many different styles and we meet a lot in a lot of ways in different countries. I've been traveling a lot. So meeting many people doing the same styles in different environments. I feel like it's a flow of information that I've witnessed people showcasing without thinking of I'm doing a show. It was through just freestyling, you know, uh, being themselves in a cipher, being themselves in a party, being themselves in a battle, you know? So it's people showcase, showcasing their voice in that way, being themselves for that. So that for me, it was a, a flow of information just by looking at them, which made it super easy for me eventually to create through that, through learning by watching the storytelling in whatever they were showcasing while they freestyle. So that was my main influence. There was not so many street dance companies at the time growing up in Switzerland. And, and we were the first street and club dance company in the French side of Switzerland back then. So I think, yeah, the, the starting point for me is quite different than many dancers. We don't, I don't come from the academia of dance. You know, it's a different way to approach dance. My institution for dance is the club, you know, <laughs> the way we learn is this is my dance class was the club scene, you know, mainly and social, socially, you know, session and vibing with people and ciphering with people. So that's my main inspiration is my people is really the dancers that I've been able to exchange with and that I still exchange with through time, through the years, you know, uh, I could see the growth in them, the growth in their stories, their personal stories that is shared through their movement. It gives me a lot of food to eventually create when I want to create my pieces. So it's a very different approach, but that has been super rich for me in inspiration so there's there's so many amazing dancers out there that i'm surrounded that i'm so grateful to be surrounded by and some of them also part of my company some have been just friends uh, i'm constantly inspired i feel i just have to go out in a club that's it i have all the information that i need to create you know so this is more my entry door to my creative process in general that is a fabulous answer. A wonderful list. Love it. Selma, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I think my favorite part, there are two. <laughs> One is when you are researching with yourself and if you're working in a group, researching the best way to communicate feelings and the story that you are creating or you want to... Sometimes I don't usually start from my story per se. So I start researching what what my body wants to, to tell. And then little by little, it's like a puzzle, putting that together. And then you have a story. Of, it can be very logical or abstract, but it's first it's express feelings. 
that's that's for me it's a scary moment and a great moment at the same time and but i love to be on the studio doing that and that part of research and then, then that you say okay i have nothing in front of me now i have to paint the air you know that space how you know and then it's when it times it gets the time to share and now you're going to share that uh, what you painted what you produce and and that's the second part because it's such a joy it and for me it's it's two parts because it's when it's completed if i do just to myself or to my own group it's just there but once you open and share it's when the whole performance it's completed it's when you invite people with you take them by their emotions by their hands by their eyes by their ears and but and you take them with you. I think at that moment it's 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 really magical, and it's when it happens, you know, in any performance, any art. Actually, you can paint and put on the wall, but if nobody sees, nobody communicate. If the music, nobody listens. There is no way you have this art is for everybody. It's for you to reach out. So that's that's the magic and uh, that's what it when it happens that's my favorite point i love that love that answer and now we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests which is what is your favorite theater memory or becky in your case another favorite theater memory (laughs) i do have one when i start in eighth grade i'm from brazil so I was in Brazil at the time. And we had on our school, we had those competitions. And it was a whole week of sport, art, and we have our groups. And then we, you know, and then we get place, first place, second place, those kind of competitions inside. The whole school would participate every grade. And I was in eighth grade and we had to put a theater on it was the competition i was in that group and then i wrote direct and act in a performance with me and three others and i was remember it was like two girls sleeping and then they dream those two guys are going to jump in through the window and we would dance and we did dance fox trot the whole night <laughs> and then we went back to sleep and we wake up and we both had the same dream and it was like, and we got the first place for that, but it was such a good memory. And I remember us dancing on the stage and how nice it felt, you know, that we were dancing and anyways, putting that together at eighth graders. And it was, it was nice memory, a nice memory. I love that. That's a wonderful memory. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I have three. <laughs> Ooh. I have three, but yeah, all for different reasons. But the first one, the one really, I used to do ballet when I was uh, younger. And then we had that show, a recital show, huge show uh, at the conservatory where many different schools of the ballet scene in, in Geneva would perform. And I was a little kid. And I just remember 
that teacher that was a little bit more open-minded than the regular ballet teachers that 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 was there at the time that was very classical you know very conservative the real cliche of the ballet teacher that you can imagine and this one was really not the most popular one because she was a little bit more open and as you can imagine I do not look like for, for them especially in Switzerland a regular ballet dancer <laughs> you know a, a Haitian dancer uh, with specific shapes and I had my own energy on stage as well so I remember rehearsal where she asked me because I was really <laughs> I was wild <laughs> a little bit so I would they would rehearse and at the same time I would have fun and do the backsliding on the side so black the backslide translation is like the equivalent of the moonwalk for the for the for, for people, you know, the original name of that step is actually not the moonwalk. So moonwalk is what people think is the Michael Jackson. It's actually the backslide, just so you know. And then that was something I was playing around doing. And then on the show, on the, in the middle of the ballet show, she decided to have me do that on stage, knowing that the whole core of the ballet world already don't like her because of that. So I was too young to realize what it meant at the time, but I just remember the feeling and the, the, the crowd screaming, cheering, and my parents being super happy and, you know, smiling because for them, it was like, I, I felt like she was, she did that on purpose, you know, but for me, it was a, a, a symbolic way, you know, to, uh, to tell them like, uh, sh shut your mouth a little bit and be a little bit more open-minded and to have me do like a two kind of eight backslide in the middle of the stage. So that was a really dope memory for me because it felt good. <laughs> I became the highlight of the evening. And then the two other ones, I mean, the other one, let me skip to the last one. So I don't take too much time. But the last one was after the pandemic. Right after the pandemic, we had the first performance we did was at the Guggenheim and through works and process. And we didn't expect to perform that early. I remember it was like the first wave of performance in whole New York City at the time. And that happened there. And we were happened to be one of the first group to do it. And I just remember what it meant for us to be able to do that not knowing when, if we were able, ever going to be able to do that, especially on that scale. I just remember the feeling we were shaking like crazy before going as if we'd never performed before. The stress was like over, over. It's like we start all over from the beginning. And it ended up being one of the most memorable performance that we did. I can, I can talk on the behalf of the, full com the whole company because first it was at the Guggenheim. So it was pretty epic to have street dance there. But just that that feeling of wow like okay there's hope we're back on it so it was a special memorable moment for us that is fab i love those two memories fabulous memories thank you so much and yeah, becky what about you yeah i'm like <laughs> it's a lovely way to close andrew because like isn't it doesn't it just get your guests in the best mindset like this is how i chose my this is how I cho choose to spend my time. There are many to choose from. I think there are, again, two that come to mind off the top of my head. One was 
yeah and one okay the second one will be like a segue back to the festival so the, the first one is kind of simple we were on this was in 2022 we were on tour we were doing a show at a theater where there was a lot of difficulty with the relationship with our hosts you know here's where I'm like there are things that you learn you know that how you don't want to host and so I'm trying to I feel the pressure in this festival to really be a good host to all these artists and audiences because on this on this particular tour we were having a really tough time and one of our performers was in the dressing room getting ready for that show and even though we were having such a tough time they just looked in the mirror as they were getting ready you know and they were like I want to do this for the rest of my life <laughs> and it was so beautiful because we were in the in the middle of, of what was honestly a complicated situation and this artist who I work with I have just the most respect for and she's she's much younger than me and I know we'll have many options of how she chooses to be an artist and to know that this community that we made this this art even though it doesn't always you know come off in the perfect way is how they want to spend their time on this earth. It was just so beautiful and, and validating, I think, for what we share. And, and the second thing I want to share is that I was just at, I just had the complete honor and privilege to be a physical storytelling consultant on Caleb Teicher's newest show at the Joyce called Bzz, and it's tap and beatboxing together. It was just for five days, which is the greatest, the greatest sin to ever sin. It was just an incredible show and I hope it keeps going. But there was something that happened when you know, the, the team, I, I was in for just a few rehearsals because the, instead of a dance show that, you know, lights go off in between each dance, the dancer stayed on stage. I know not every dance show is like that, but the dancer stayed on stage and there was kind of a flow of energy and action from one dance to the next. And a lot of that is, is, you know, what, what story is the body telling without language? So that's, that's why I was there. And I was invited to the kind of pre-show chat like a good luck kind of moment that they all have together and I was so emotional because I was in this room with people who are don't do mime they don't do theater they're tap dancers which was like my first love of the of any kind of performance was rhythm tap growing up so they're all these tappers really musicians you know and and people who who create through improvisation and groove you know, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not using that word wrong, Tatiana, but just flow, you know, and are you good freedom, <laughs> freedom. And, and that's not exactly how a broken box mime show works. You know, we're choreographed. It's tight. Like we know what's going on when, and these people are in a very different setting than me and the beatboxers who again are this totally different, the, the two people, Jean and Chris from Spider Horse are world champions in beatboxing. It's freaking crazy hearing them make noises. I was like, what? But we all shared this feeling that the show was important. The energy was real. It does not matter where, in this case, it was not about the discipline itself. It was about the spirit of performance and the connection to the body mm -hmm. as the storyteller not the body alone. And yes, you will see some great solo shows at FizzFest, but what happens when different bodies come together and create art that is from 
something that every single person has. It's all we have in common, right? An imagination and a body. It's like, there we are. So that, that was a pretty spectacular moment. Both of these I recognize, Andrew, are not on stage, nor are they even in the audience. It's these moments before the show where the performers are recognizing their purpose and the meaning of what they're about to do. And, and the real, I feel uh, in a, in a non-religious way, a, a blessing. I feel it was really a blessing to be present in both of those spaces, witnessing like what company I keep. And that's, that's really, if I may segue in. Andrew, it's really the point of this festival. It's like, what, what would it feel like if for 10 days we bring that energy together? Yeah. I love that. Wonderful memories from, wonderful memories from all of you. Thank you all so much for sharing those. Those were beautiful. Thank you. My final question is, if our listeners would like more information about FizzFest NYC or about any of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Yeah, they can go to fizzfestnyc.org. And our our email is just a good old-fashioned fizzfestnyc at Gmail if you have any specific questions. But on that, on that website, you're going to find a full lineup of all the different millions and millions of things you can do over those beautiful 10 days. Because we know you're not busy with like Under the Radar or, you know, APAP or any of the other things going on in New York. We know we know you're like, oh, but give me that physical theater. Yeah. And so we got you. Go to that website. Follow us at FizzFestNYC on Instagram. We have lots of posts there as well. For us, for Passion Fruit, if you want to follow our work, you can go on IG. It's PF Dance Company. And then my personal IG is Tatiana.Desardouin. Oh, no, that, sorry, one word, Tatiana Desardouin on IG. And on both, you'll find the link tree where you can connect with our work and the email is really easy. Passion Fruit Dance Co. In one word, Passion Fruit Dance Co. at gmail.com. And I think like she mentioned, like all the informations are on the website of FizzFest. You can find easily what uh, Passion Fruit is about. And hopefully we'll see you all at the show and then come and experience Black arts through workshops and, you know, performances. So... Thank you again. <laughs> well, if you would like to see more of my work, of our work, it's we have I have my Instagram, selma.trevino, and you can message me there. And through the Feast Fest also, we have our, on the website, we have our contact. And uh, yeah, that's how you can find our work. Amazing. Well, Selma, Becky, Tatiana, thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me today about the incredible debut of FizzFest NYC. I'm so excited about it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Andrew, for having us. Thank, thank you. you. And thank we you, will Andrew. see you there, right? <laughs> I, it's on the calendar now. I can't wait. <laughs> all so. right. <laughs> My guests today have been the curator and member of FizzFest NYC Artistic Leadership Circle, Selma Trevino, the artistic director of Broken Box Mime and co-executive producer for the festival, Becky Baumwall, and the artistic director and choreographer of Passion Fruit Dance Company and special curator for the festival, Tatiana Desadois. They all joined us today to talk to us about the inaugural 
BizFest NYC, the first annual, which is happening January 5th through the 14th at the Stella Adler Center for the Arts. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting BizFestNYC.org. And we also have some other contact information for our guests and the festival, which we'll be posting on the social media description, as well as the episode description. But right now, get your tickets for the first BizFest NYC, January 5th through the 14th. It's very exciting. You don't want to miss it. BizFest NYC, January 5th through the 14th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.